Hi, this is Dr. Carl Goldcamp. If you're interested in learning about the ketogenic diet like I was, to save my own life, then this is probably the podcast for you. Eight years ago, I knew nothing about it. Six years ago, it saved my life. Three years ago, I started researching and talking with some of the authorities in the field and attending medical conferences about this to understand why and how keto so dramatically changed my and my wife's Judy's lives. The purpose of this podcast is to share our journey of discoveries with you in understanding how keto is so effective in improving so many different conditions from obesity, epilepsy, diabetes, infertility, MS, Alzheimer's, heart disease, to name a few. So take a step away from all the hype you've probably heard and roll up your sleeves with me and join me weekly to explore this living miracle that anyone can access. We'll talk science, we'll talk food. We'll explore its history and evolution to today, which is that the sheer wonder of the ketogenic way of eating has changed untold number of lives, unlike anything before it. And in case I forget to mention it, please join our Facebook group, Keto Naturopath. Yep, no, I hear you. So I'm thinking of some of one of your many charts and you talk about how basically at the end of the, the HIT session of 11 to 14 minutes for most of us that, you know, you're over the next 48 or 60 hours, your HGH is going to go up and a, a number of other things go up. And then you're saying, you know, this is, I think you're talking to Jason Fong. He says, mm-hmm. uh, supposedly in fasting, that happens after you get to another threshold in fasting, mm-hmm. that your HGH goes up for three days and he mentions it. But that's an interesting sort of coincidence. You get it in two different places, almost doing two different things. Yeah, well, you know, Jason's and, and the fasting thing, the jury's a little bit out, especially on the specifics. But what he's what he's purporting is that a number of things happen metabolically when you fast. What insulin sensitivity is increased, HGH production is up upregulated, and the third one is there's an adrenaline response which drives fatty acid or, or triglyceride into fatty acids, meaning from storage to usage and circulation. And I said, well, if that's the case, and you know, and and you can see some of that. I guess you can interpret it that way. But in in spades, there's literature and 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 you know, testing that I've done that shows that all three of those markers are enhanced greatly. Okay, now I can get into specifics about why the 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 stimulation for HGH, for example, from exercise is much more thorough and significant than from fasting, but. In any case, if those things hold true, then this is at least synergistic. Okay. In other words, if you're trying to accomplish these, and these are the things that are making this metabolic change positive, then why not burn this thing from both this candle from both ends? So, and, and I've written a, a little response. There was an article that said something: you can't outrun a, a bad diet. And I and I basically wrote a little reply saying, well, you can't outrun a bad headline because that that implies that you know, exercise, which again is, is ill-described. I think they were talking about activity, but that exercise, you know, doesn't do much for weight reduction or fat reduction. And that's depending upon what you consider exercise. And again, if you're doing steady state, I call it in my book, fat borrowing, but high intensity exercise, fat burning. And that I think is what we're trying, what we're after, not borrowing the fat, paying it back by being sluggish and hungry after the aerobic session. And HIT does exactly the opposite. It stimulates a super release of fatty acids. So now you have, after you're done, you've got this fatty acid circulation. Now you're going to use fat. You're not hungry. 
and you raise your metabolic rate for up to 48 hours, I mean, this is big time. If you know, if you're burning 10, 20 calories more an hour for two, think about what what the caloric change is and also think about the fueling mechanism also think about how much more we are insulin sensitive because don't forget the sensitivity insulin sensitivity is local that's another big thing that i'm really working on now carl is and you see in my book i have local and global benefits now i've not seen that before this is something that just got into my head somehow and i'm saying if you, for example, not to get too technical, but you know about mTOR, and, yeah. and for people, for most people, this is irrelevant, I guess. But you know, everybody's talking about mTOR now. I've been writing about mTOR for and PPAR for, I don't know, 15, 20 years, you know. And now, what mTOR is is a sensing, okay? It's it's a, a an energy sensing mechanism, feedback mechanism. So it tells the body, okay, we have enough energy to do this activity we have enough energy to build muscle okay so it senses that and you, you can upregulate that enormously by exercise now there's an upside and a downside if a tumor instigates an mTOR response it's upregulating its ability to handle uh, to, to utilize more glucose because most tumors are glucose related okay they, they depend on glucose so that's a bad thing but in the case of muscle mediated uh, mTOR Okay, it's stimulating the protein synthesis by telling this PPAR, which is another uh, signaling mechanism, that yes, turn on the gene that makes protein synthesis possible. All right, so that's where we're at. So in the, in the mTOR sort of seems to be uh, keyed almost solely off of uh, losing now, but that leads me into a, a couple other questions is that there's a number of doors. So you're familiar with PPAR and mTOR, and absolutely. And I'm, I, I love hearing, um, how you got into it and where you go with it. It's more about how you got into it and how you're applying it. Is it so what do you now see as required protein, you know, on a per person basis, whether it's the little old osteoporotic woman who's just getting started or the uh, bodybuilder, you know, do you set the goal and say, no, actually they're not that big. They're not that. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess, yeah, sure. I mean, I, I think there's a kind of a, a simple correlation between, you know, muscle mass and muscle building and an increased protein requirement. And in my experience, I have not had a problem with gluconeogenesis from an excess of protein. I've not seen that that significantly. Now, I may not be understanding, I may not be measuring it accurately because I haven't really measured it in a study, but I've not seen much of a problem with that. But a a lot of the guys who I respect you know, in the, in the nutritional aspect of this thing, seem to think that there is. Uh, so I, I my, the jury's out in my mind about that stuff. But I, I, you know, for most people who want to put on muscle, and again, it depends, you know, here's where it becomes a personal kind of a prescription. Where are you now with your protein intake? What are we doing? And if we're having trouble building muscle, and, and you know, like, as you get older, you supposedly, like when we were in school, I'm sure, Carl, we were told after like, you know, 45, 50 years old, there's no way you can put on lean tissue, right, okay? Right. And I've got 80-year-olds to put on, you know, four or five pounds of lean tissue in three months. I mean, frail people, it's, it's silly. And so we do it repeatedly. So somebody's missing the boat there. I mean, <laughs> this, this, this is misinformation. But, and I think they're, they're less adept at protein synthesis. So does more protein ingestion help? I, you would assume so logically, but I'm not positive. But I think that more is sufficient and not counter, certainly counterproductive, even in this, you know, uh, the ketogenic goal, 
than what is normally accepted. That, let's put it that way. So jury's out a little bit. I've not had a problem eating what I call a higher protein diet. In fact, I do. I eat probably a pound and a half of meat a day. Okay. And so there's plenty of protein in there. And that's, and then I have some vegetables and some salads and stuff like that and cheese and nuts. So I, my, my protein, and, but again, I don't like, you know, I'm not a, I'm an N of one, which doesn't give us much, you know, reliability, but I've seen it. You know, don't forget, I've been doing this 45, six years, and I've seen hundreds, if not thousands of these cases. And I, you get to see tendencies at least. Right. right. So and that's my experience. Interesting. You know, um, also one of the things you mentioned, you were talked about, uh, but you had sarcopenic obesity and you had yeah. uh, sarcopenic diabetes. Diabetes, right? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it made me think that, you know, it, it, one of the initiators is part of our issues for our pancreas and or diabetes in general, and all of that leads to are we under muscled and therefore have a far lower insulin sensitivity and we should have because of lack of muscle tissue. Yeah. Oh, I, I think that that's an absolute, uh, absolutely accurate observation. And, and, and it's not, it's not such a gross analysis of under muscle by, Oh, you don't have any muscle. It's the activity of the muscle. Okay. What's right. going on? What's the mitochondrial kind of necessity and that we, how, how important are mitochondria more and more and more we're understanding that. So how, how do you increase mitochondrial health and power? You demand energy from these things. If you don't demand it, they recede. The, the battery goes dead. Okay, so that that I think just as importantly, uh, that that's one of my reasons why this once a week. I don't think once a week stimulation that we're talking about is metabolically comparable at all to twice a week. And I don't know that three times a week is is much better because of other issues of, as recovery. But I think there's a certain requirement of some kind of you know, episodic exposure to this, to this high intensity kind of, and the other thing too, the global, local and global, if you look at the more and more I look at this stuff, and this is stuff I'm going to present in San Diego, is that the, the, the local effect of mitochondrial stimulation is just that. It, it's not a whole body thing. I mean, it, it's local. It depends on the muscles that are being stimulated or agitated or, or, or required to deliver energy. And so that's another reason for my whole body exercise kind of thing, as opposed to some, and some of my local kind of concepts and exercises that we have these receptors and we have these mitochondria and the different muscles, and they will be more thoroughly, completely and healthfully enhanced on a local basis. Now, you do have the support of the local exercise. In other words, if we're working our biceps, that's the local part of the deal. Now, to support that effort, we start to breathe heavily. That's the cardiorespiratory, okay? Our, our heart rate go, goes up, our blood delivery goes up, our hormonal system goes up, our neurological system has to respond, okay? So we're driving these global benefits and global activities and or, global organ systems supporting us through the use of the local muscle group that's being worked. That's an important concept. And many of these manifestations, mTOR, PPAR, IL-15, okay, all of this kind of sophisticated stuff, which isn't all that sophisticated, but all the stuff that we know are beneficial pathways, okay, that we're trying to instigate happen on a local basis as well as global and maybe more so locally, okay? And, and, and a lot of those um, pathways and signaling proteins are most significantly 
stimulated and upregulated by type 2B fight or flight life or death muscle fibers. Okay, so again, you see how this all makes starts to make sense, uh, you know, mechanically, metabolically, and as far as the response that we get in our big, our biggest bang for our buck. That's why we want to get into those type two B. That's that muscle failure kind of thing we're talking about. Yes, with two B. So as we get in and start doing our work, we grow our muscles to an extent, whatever extent we want to, and we make more mitochondria. That's a good thing. So we. Mm -hmm. Uh, upgraded or improved all of that do you ever come across the question of so what supplement should i take are you mm. uh, ag supplement agnostic or because you, you mentioned that you're sort of thinking about creatine it was the old muscle builders uh supplement du jour certainly 30 yeah. years ago 20 years ago maybe even 10 years ago well uh, here's my here's my read on it first it's like it's like being a doctor first do no harm so right. it, it, at worst in worst case scenario you hopefully the supplement that you take is just a, a vehicle for, you know, enriched urine. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> you know, but, but I do think there are certain that the creatine, the reason I got to, into creatine a little bit lately is that I started reading some studies about creatine and cognitive power and recovery in the case of people that were mildly impaired, i.e., you know, initial stages of maybe Alzheimer's and how they were getting better responses. Now, that's a whole different deal than we were talking about when we were trying to build more muscle. And basically, I think what we were trying to do with that, in my estimation, was increase PC phosphocreatine levels, which is the initial energy that you use that doesn't need anything. It's, it's the real, you know, it's the gasoline on the fire. You know, get it started quick and it's available and it burns real quickly. Uh, so, and, and that, but the phosphocreatine in the muscle sense was part of was part of the cytoplasm, okay, myoplasm, as opposed to the myofibril. In other words, it was the it was the goo around the noodles or the you know I consider it like low main. You know, muscles are a little package, and you got the low main noodles. Those are the contractile fibers and proteins, and then you have this other stuff, which is the cytoplasm, myoplasm, in the case of muscle, that retains some of these uh, nutrients and retains some of these energy, like like the creatine phosphate. And I think, and that's it's mostly water basically. And I think that creatine phosphate, uh, creatine, uh, basically enhanced muscle volume and maybe energy from that standpoint. I don't know as, as far as the actual performance in the myofibrils, if it had much to do with it. But anyway, so that was why. And it made, it made you more bulky, muscularly, blah, 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 blah. And, but, yeah. but now I think there's something going on with this enhanced delivery of energy potential, maybe the creatine phosphate uh, in the brain. Uh, and, and again, and I'm really in the, in the beginning stages of trying to understand that, but that just gives me a hunch that this, there may be some benefit to that. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, uh, so along the lines of you know, we, we the heart of the muscle is mitochondria. And this is what we're working on. The heart, the heart of mitochondria is important to everything across the board. You know, all our yeah. all our conditions we're talking about it's really mitochondrial based. Even talking to Tom Zegfried, it's mitochondrial based. You know, uh, cancer yeah. is a metabolic disease. So yep. given that, you know, you'd almost think that I'm not pro supplements. By the way, in fact, I you know, since I was a naturopath, it's like you had this big pharmacy, and you and you, I don't want to do that again. You know, it's just like it's babysitting for people that don't really want to take care of themselves. You know, what supplement will, you, will I take to do this for me? So my thinking is always, there is a pretty specialized list of things that are uh, mitochondrial support, you know, CoQ10, um, certainly you could say iron in there, but that would be a one I'd point to. But do you ever sort of think in that way or you go, well, you know. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I listen, 
I mean, your bailiwick is that stuff. You, you know that stuff better than I do. Uh, so the point is, I think if there is, and it's nice to get good labs and to see where you're at. And can you, I mean, D3, do you need some more D3? I mean, uh, for example, um, the, the, the requirements for D3 were based, based on the uh, Framingham data. Okay. And these, don't forget now, here's who were Framingham people. They were white males who lived in the Northeast who never saw the sun. Okay. So that, but, but the healthiest of those guys had a certain level and that's what the supposedly the, the norm is. Now we realize now you probably need more than that because, because of where the data is based from. Okay. A population, these guys were healthy and maybe they still had low D3, but they were the healthiest of the people they studied. So that's, I said, those were the norms of levels. Now I think we're learning that you probably could use more of that. Right. Yeah. But understand, you know, white males living in, you know, New England, uh, and maybe the D3 compared to people who lived in the South or whatever, or, or, or other other ethnic groups had way higher D3. But anyway, my point is, if, if you diagnose or can analyze that there is maybe a possible deficiency, what's the harm in maybe supplementing and see, seeing if we get in our, in our subsequent labs a better reading, or if the patient feels better. And again, if it's, if it's um, placebo and it works, you know what? I'm, I'm all for it, that God bless America. Listen, I, I, I remember my mom, who was very educated mm-hmm. at, the, at the end, and she, was, she used to have almonds and cider vinegar and vitamin pills. And I'd say, Mom, what are you you're like a friggin' witch doctor, you know? She goes, well, I read about this. I read about this. You know, and now here I am, you know, 70 in my season. And I've got this. I've got some this. I've got DHEA. I've got this stuff. I've got like 10 pills I take in the morning. It's ritualistic. I, I agree. It's not necessarily based on any intellectual prowess it's just the fact that i feel good why why should i stop you know and so i don't know if i'm giving you an answer but i think there are some supplements certainly that you can uh, I, like for me glucosamine chondroitin has oh, has helped i'm arthritic you know i've got a lot of injuries and stuff from sports and training and stuff like that and it really did make it it made a difference within 10 days and i started doing, doing it 20 years ago and i do it every day so it means for some of these things i I think sure there's, and I am not the expert on it. I tend to think people get over, you know, they get oversold. You know, everything's a miracle drug. Everything changes. This is all you need to take. And, and I, I don't want to go there. To me, it's 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 you know reeks of snake oil, and I just don't I don't like that. But like like in your field, you guys can manipulate this stuff, and I think do a really good job with these sub sub I think nutrients or, or vitamins or mineral you know and I, I think there is something to it I, I really do think that, that that has value but I think it has to be kind of expertly applied it's true you know I mean that's what I thought when I was in med school and now you come out and you realize that you go on Amazon and any any person can uh, a private yeah. label their own little schlock out there and yeah. call whatever they want and and then they go, I'm taking this stuff. It never worked for me. And you have to do it. And I remember patients coming in in that way. It's like, well, just forget about that. We're starting here. But uh, some of the things, recently I asked about CoQ10 in particular, which is not exactly as old as the hills, but it's been out for a long time. Yeah. And um, what was really pretty interesting is that, you know, you, you, you will get a change. People will feel better for the obvious reasons, right into the mitochondria and yada, yada. But when they stop taking it, so let's say for uh, conge- not even congestive heart failure, but for heart in general, that mm-hmm. they will feel better. It will be stronger in various measurements of uh, cardiac output. When they stop taking it, they could go from, go into not quite 
full-blown tachycardia for a while, but it, it, it's the opposite. You've now created dependency on this. And so I go, wow, mm. these are, um, you know, it, the whole supplement use came from orthomolecular medicine, which is pretty much the context you just described, but it's yep. now ad hoc. And a lot of people get, um, and even physicians and all of us is like, you go, well, try this. It's like, we don't know the compliance of the patient. It's like, Right. You know, if I could tell you what to do, do this. If you're going to do it your own way, then I'm not quite sure I'm comfortable with it. But anyway, neither here nor there. Well, the, wor the, the, you know, the, worst, the worst practitioner is Dr. Google, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you read about it, now you can read about it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's what yeah. I, when people come to me, I say, oh, I'm doing this. So what do you think about this? I say, who told you that? Dr. Google? You yeah. know, <laughs> because <laughs> yeah, it's a little double-edged sword for sure. Oh yeah, well, it's got one edge is stronger than the other in my perspective, but he's got a wicked long waiting list of patients. Let me tell you, excellent. Um, I'm trying to look at some of the questions here. One was one was actually asking about uh, your compressed discs. How'd they come about in your life? You know. Oh, well, well, I have a clue that when we used to try to do thousand pound quarter squats in a, in a power rack, uh, it might have had something to do with it. because. You know? <laughs> You know, some martial arts, some football, some, you know, a bunch of stuff. Uh, some heavy lifting and stuff like that. I'm, I'm assuming that that didn't help. Yeah, because I do remember when I would put that, we, was, we loaded a bar up with so many weights that we couldn't fit any more weights on it. So we, we got string and we tied extra weights onto where we had the plates and we would try to get it to 1,000 pounds and do these like, you know, 12-inch, squat uh, squat rack you know taking it off one end level and i'm you know I, i'm assuming because that really did feel uncomfortable i have to say that <laughs> i said geez i think i was in my early 20s you know so and you know i, I wasn't I, i'm still not that bright but apparently i was even dumber then <laughs> yeah well now you have uh, scars to prove it but yeah. yeah but you know what the hell it's yeah, how no, you work I with it if you don't, if you don't know your limitations, you know, you'll never know your limitations. Don't try Well, at 22, if you would measure your HGH and testosterone levels, you could, you'd, you'd be, uh, it's hard to explain how you didn't do even crazier things than you did, you know? So, I don't know, what, what are you going to do? It's part of the, the, the development or the degradation of the human body, you know? <laughs> there's, there's expressions for that, no doubt, you know? Not yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. People are so enthralled. One guy has already made a spreadsheet of all the, uh, different body parts you went through oh i know speaking of you know because we here's what i have basically like extension like curl you have the pull down or chin up uh the chest and shoulders or we call it chest and row a uh, bicep triceps and then kind of optional oh, a few trunks have you ever included sort of the uh uh soleus um uh i'm missing uh, soleus gastroc thank you soleus yeah. gastroc yes I with uh, yeah, that's interesting that you say that because I've not seen that. I actually have people. Well, as as you get older, especially some of this is age related. I make sure we do a little bit of Achilles stuff because I think that's something that's get older becomes more uh, likely. Okay, so I have them, and I, I but I consider those supplemental exercise. But when I do, can that's very interesting that you say that because almost nobody on the planet that I've ever talked to includes soleus work. Uh, and I always do. And that is so strange that you asked that. That's you're the first guy that's ever asked me that question. Okay, don't yeah. forget it. <laughs> and so you understand, and, and you understand yeah. that the, the soleus with the knee bent. I mean, basically, yeah. straight-legged, you gastroc, soleus, yeah. knee bent. 
And I right. think that has they but they have a common Achilles tendon, right? They have a Absolutely. common tendon. And I do think I'd say, yeah, that's it. Wow. I give you a lot of credit, Carl. I, I am I am thinking much more highly of you than I did at the beginning of this interview. <laughs> I <laughs> so appreciate that, you know, I'm not realizing how loaded this started out, right? but frankly, the reason I got into Solingness and Gastrock, it's probably five years ago, is that, you know, yeah, I played lacrosse and soccer, and I was a competitive swimmer. Um, none of those sports really gave me the gastrocs that I wanted, what gave me the, the lower legs that I wanted, and it wasn't really yeah. until the last five years that I learned to tease these out and, you know, spend... Yep, yep. And so I want to include that now into regrouping my, my groups because I think that uh, – Yeah, that, I, I mean, listen, that's a personalized – to me, that, that's where it becomes, you know, a little bit of the art to the science. So that's what yeah. you want to do, you know. Uh, I, I think that's interesting because I've not, I've not heard that. By the way, the easier way the, – the, the easiest way to develop your soleus is to change your parents. So that's uh, – <laughs> 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 yeah, it's like the your joke of the woman who, you know, the guy who caught a, caught her eye. I thought that was hysterical. <laughs> I'm not even going to tell the joke, but because they're going to have to come to San Diego or wherever. Uh, but you probably won't do the joke now that I said that. Um, We've got plenty. I've, I've got a whole storehouse of silliness. So I, I thought that was great. You spoke actually like a professor when you uh, presented the information in the sense of a use of jokes, because um, there's a few other people that do that too. It, when they, um, your, your information is just very interesting. So um, for me, you didn't have to do that. But when other people say this is important, you know, it's important information, but it's tedious because it goes from I don't know, reaction yeah. to reaction or so on and so forth. When somebody puts a joke right in the middle, it refreshes you. Now you're on for the next. <laughs> what they did is do you a favor to wake you up so you can pay attention to the rest. Yeah, 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 a little bit, yeah. Um, I, I got the fact that you basically did your jokes because you like giving your jokes and they were, uh, they were pretty yeah. good. Yeah, <laughs> your, your delivery was kind of un, understated. And then, like, moving on to the next. So, tell me about fasting and HIT. So, you've gone through a number of group fasts, you know, and now is you know fasting probably through Dr. Fong. Um, I know when I was in med school, even though I went to a naturopathic med school, um, I think we way underpaid attention to not only the ketogenic diet, but in fasting, even though there's books in the library that go back a hundred years. So it was part of that. Yeah, yeah. And it was very popular in, in the late 1800s and the early 1900s. And um, who was it? Bernie McFadden, who started that whole mm -hmm. physique. Yeah, culture. yeah but McFadden, yep. Yeah, yep. and uh, uh, Battle Creek, Michigan, and his whole solarium then in Chicago. I mean, he was like a big faster. Yeah. So, and other than that, just being uh, historically fascinating, for better or for worse, what's your thoughts of the HIT during fasting? Let's say you're going to do a three-day fast, or we can call it intermittent fasting, but I'm putting a, uh, say, hey, somebody's doing a three-day fast out there or longer. What do you see? Say, yeah, it's interesting. Do it. Don't worry about it. Well, I've done it personally. I mean, my longest fast on just water, now we're talking real fast, is yeah. 10 days. Okay. Wow. Um, I just wanted to see what happened. And I had body count measurements and some other blood work and stuff during this, you know, because uh, I was just fascinated with fat. And I, you know, now on, I, I, as far as a three day fast, I'm not sure I would do, if I was going to do my workout, I would do it on one of the first day or something. And I, I don't think that it, you can't do it. I mean, I, I've done it, I've, I've done it after two days, full, two full days fasting and had no uh, negative repercussion. Um, I just don't know what's going on internally. So again, I don't think that my glycogen was so depleted because it didn't seem 
And again, this is an N of one, and I've done it with a couple other people. I didn't see any real de degradation in performance capacity. Okay, I just don't know how receptive I was, and 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 if it made any difference, honestly. But um, I, I think the longer the fast, the less I would be likely to have one of my high intensity sessions during that time. That that's just my natural kind of basic interpretation of events. I have no real data to, and I don't know who else has any data to verify that or, or to solidify it or not. Um, but yeah, but I, but like on an intermittent fasting or one day fast, I don't think it has anything to do. I don't think it's going to bother you one bit. And uh, will it enhance? See, this is, this is another thing people ask me. Here's where you start to get a little crazy and subjective. Yeah. I mean, during my, you know, when I'm intermittent fasting, should I do my workout way before or right? Through? I, I think we're starting to get, I, maybe there's some data, but I don't know who's, who's doing that picayune kind of a interpretation of events. I, I don't see it. Uh, so I think I, I've not, I, I normally don't eat anyway and have my whole life until at least two or four o'clock. So if I want to prolong that and just eat once a day, I'll eat at six or something. But it has nothing to do with my workout, my activity, even my competition when I was, you know, playing tennis on a, at a high level, you know, when, and that was pretty taxing and I, it didn't bother me one bit. E either when I did my workout, I mean, I wouldn't work out like an hour before a big match or anything like that. But if I had a couple hours to recover, it's become such second nature to me. It didn't make any difference, good, bad, and different. And also the fasting, I don't think, unless it becomes, you know, a, a 72 hour kind of thing, but I think 48 even my, again, this is just observation. This is me talking off the cuff, you know, uh, and, 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 and my observing clinically, I haven't seen any problem with doing that at a high intensity. Yeah. Make, it makes sense. You're the first sort of to say it. Wow. Well, you, you opened a lot of doors in my way of thinking, and that's why I wanted to reach out, you know, and, and I didn't know uh, you very well at all, other than I know Doug, I've gotten to know Doug over the years and uh, some of the people he's recommended when they come on as, as new, I go, all right, I'll, I'll you know, I'm in for uh, a real exciting, a treat here and, and that's clearly what worked out with you dr ben you know it's like uh and you you had also this i would say humility in the sense of saying you know the low carb is this is like the fourth iteration of low carb i hope it's hope it stays this time and i <laughs> yeah. go you know it speaks of you know everybody is so into the moment now or last year last couple of years or whatever this yeah. recent keto movement is and it's they're thinking they're reinventing the wheel and i i, I sort of get tired of that and so i actually had to go back and do some of the history work and finding out where this started you know class just to make me feel better that the you know the basis for this is a lot bigger than the last couple of years yeah it, what makes you think that this is going to stick now more than it did before is it the internet and so we get more followers mm. more quickly than ever before or well, I, I, I think, Carl, that this stuff, you know, you know what empiricism is. And I think empirically, this makes good science. There's good chemistry that happens as a result of this. So I think it, it has reality and depth in the benefit. And now we are understanding it. And I think we are better able to ward off the naysayers, okay, because some of the, their, their arguments are very shallow and we can counteract them. And I think so, but I think now we've got some good science, you know, like low carb, these guys that we're dealing with smart people that are, have good science. And a lot of the research people that I know, they real research people not, that don't even come to some of our conferences are saying, listen, this, this makes some sense. And they have no skin in the game. They're not trying to, they don't care if it's good, bad, and different. And I think this time we have a good solid sound basis and we've got a, a, a groundswell of people that are understanding on a personal basis. This stuff really works. 
And uh, I, I think it, yeah, that's why I think it, it's going to stick. To, but I, I, that's why I don't want us to screw it up by go, going off on our own tangents yeah. and, you know, yeah. battling with each other and things like that. That's a good point. That's a good point. You know, uh, my dad was a uh, physiatrist. It was all about exercise and this you know, is long since passed on, but he was of that background. He would have loved all this. And I don't think that exercise, other than being an athlete and the record breakers and so on and so forth and the discipline and team, all, all the esprit de corps sort of things you got from uh, your form of exercise, but you're bringing it to a place that, you know, I, I uh, for instance, I spent up a couple of days with Dr. Westman up at Duke seeing some pictures. Yeah. It's funny, I got horrendously sick because of it because he was real sick the second day too and I picked up his thing. But is that, and it's a whole different demographic. I get that, but I think there's such a different context or let me rephrase that it, it, it's even more helpful if somehow one can slip in you know hit it's, yep. it's I'm not quite sure if they'll pick it up because i've seen the demographic but duke also has in part of this whole lifestyle and obesity clinic which is what he's part of they have you know when people fly in for the week or the month or the six months and and they go or taken to the track and this is what you're going to eat today and you're going to stay in that hotel you know all worked out it's kind of a i would say a, a fat farm but it's it's done for you yeah. but it's not ketogenic. And the two things that I've learned in this whole process, uh, primarily through Doug, I've gone to the metabolic therapy conferences as well, though not the last one, is that the exercise component was for the most part missing. I know that Jeff Bullock did the art and science of, you know. But that's performance really, yeah. yeah. Right, right. This is this is the piece, man. This is, this is right in there that it is so impressive. And yet well, here's the thing, Carl. I mean, I, I think I heard you say something about, you know, you look, or maybe it was at Atia, at but you look back at how the, the human species evolved, progressed, however you want to describe it. And the two most, I think, important systems are the digestive system and the muscle system. And I think we have not had that kind of understanding because they are they can powerfully, that, that first of all, are the two most um, applicable as far as human survival. Think about it. As we were, we were being taught, the muscle system was kind of underplayed as being kind of a purely mechanical interloper, you know, like these other, the cardiovascular system, all these other systems are really, really important. But without the muscle system, these things wouldn't develop. And why have we, why do we have a muscle system that can do all of these things and produce all of these pathways if it wasn't really intricate and, and involved in the survival of the of a high level of functioning of the species? And I think that's my, my thing with when I got to Doug, I said, Doug, look at all the path. Basically, all our behaviors are driven towards driving metabolic responses and pathways. If we have identified these as being a result of this kind of eating, okay, and I can show you that I can duplicate these, magnify these, and in some cases, well, display at a higher level, these pathways by the use of this muscle movement, this high level type two high intensity muscle, why wouldn't you incorporate these? In fact, to go to the other extreme, I've had many people that I haven't even told about eating that have done great with lab work and everything else just by doing this exercise. Now, did they make behavioral changes? I, I'm sure they do. Most people who start an exercise program watch what they eat. And most people who watch what they eat are a little bit cognitive. They should do some exercise. So it's hard to you know, isolate the variables. But I said, this is something that's missing. In fact, I'm going to send you Carl, a little thing I wrote about this. You, can, you can't outrun a bad headline and why I think exercise is so important. I think it's a one-page little blurb that I wrote. And I think you'll get, you know, understand better where my position is on this. Absolutely. It, it's sort of, I think this came from you. 
Um, I think there was a Jack Lang quote that said something like, in the world of health, uh, exercise is king and a nutrition is queen, but together. Yeah, yeah, that was Jack. Uh, speaking of which, did you know Jack Lang? Because you guys. No, I did him. not know. I did not know him personally. I do know his widow and his son, John. Uh, in fact, I was at a Hall of, National uh, Fitness Hall of Fame dinner and they were there and I was there and I got to be really friendly with them. And she told me her name is Lorraine, Lorraine. She's 91. And she said, God, you remind me so much of Jack. It's unbelievable. And we got to be real friendly. And she was spunky. And her, his son was really nice. And I, you know, Jack Lane was a, was a licensed chiropractor in California. Because I said to her, how did this guy know all about physiology and anatomy? He would sound like he was trained. She goes, he never told anybody. Because in those days, being a chiropractor was like being a witch doctor. Okay. But he did have that background. And she said, but you remind me of him so much. And she actually gave me a signed book that he had. And it was signed by Jack. And she put in parentheses, in heaven. And I had given her a copy of my book. And, and then she, she was so delightful. And it's just 91 and spunky. And yeah, every, I get that a lot. You know, God, you like Jack Lane with a couple of PhDs, you know, or something like that. But, uh, yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Beyond that, you're, you embody the spirit that he had, too. Yeah. No, because it's hey, it's like life is good. Enjoy it, and, and 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 again, use the behaviors that give you the highest return for a healthy, you know, and, and therefore I think a, you know a happy life. Uh, why not? You got one shot at it. Give it a give it a good go. What a perfect note to end on, uh, Doctor Ben. You're you're one of the lucky people that I, I should have met 30 years ago, but I'm glad you're <laughs> right now. Um, oh, and, likewise. You know, and putting things together. Well, I'm going to stay in touch. Um, we're going to put this out probably in a couple podcasts and I might even do a, uh, a prequel to sort of go over some of the concepts so people can sure. turn along. But I so appreciate your time. I appreciated your work and I'm surprised I didn't know you before. Well, now we got it. We'll, we'll run with it a little bit. Now I hope I helped, you know, a couple people and that's all I can, that's all I can ask for. I think you helped a lot more than that, but yeah, we'll be in touch. Thanks again. Take all right. Care. Take care, Carl. Bye-bye.